I, this is, uh, we're going to, to, of course, the sermon and Romans chapter 9. The end of Romans 9 is where we'll be. And uh, what I'm going to say now, as I introduce my sermon, is uh, you might not know where this is going, but I assure you I'm, gonna, I'm getting to the end of Romans 9 with this. So I'm a, I'm a Midwest boy, grew up the first half of my life in Ohio. The second half of my life so far, Lord willing, uh, is, has been in Illinois. Um, and come fall, uh, one of my favorite things is, is college football, and I have remained loyal to my home state, Buckeyes. Now, this co- then comes the news story this week. Maybe some of you know where I'm going with this. The University of Southern California and the University of California, Los Angeles, UCLA, will be joining the Big Ten Conference in a couple of years. What? That's right. We don't want some surfer dudes in here. We, we, are, we are corn-fed big boys pushing the ball up and down the field. Big Ten is Midwest. I, I can't even stomach the idea of USC winning the Big Ten championship while Wisconsin or Ohio State's at home. Thank, thank goodness not, that's not likely to happen anytime soon. But even if, even if you don't know football, you understand some of those dynamics. And while that's an admittedly trivial illustration, even though some people, football's religion, like it's a trivial illustration, it's just a game, there was a similar kind of resistance, frustration among Jews in Paul's day when Paul was proclaiming the gospel that Christ has opened the door for all people, Jew and Gentile, to enjoy the blessing of God. Anyone can belong to God's people through faith in Jesus. It's not this exclusive uh, membership thing. Anyone can belong to God's people through faith in Jesus. But that just made some Jews who had believed in Jesus wonder, struggle with, well, how is it that Gentiles are getting in on the blessings of God's people when so many of our fellow Jews have rejected Jesus and are therefore, Paul, you're saying, unsaved? How can that be? What does that say about God and His purposes and His plan and His faithfulness? We looked at so much of that in the early part of Romans 9 last week where Paul talks about God's plan, His purposes being carried out. And it's going to, really, it's going to take all of chapters 9, 10, and 11 for Paul to answer this uh, issue, this question about, okay, so what about Israel? What, what, are, what are you doing, God? How's your plan working out? We're only going to get a little further today as we uh, come to the end of Romans 9 and into the beginning of uh, Romans chapter 10. So I hope you'll follow along as I read, uh, beginning again with Romans chapter 9, verse 30. What shall we say then? That Gentiles, non-Jews, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is, a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law? Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they, the Israelites, have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. 
for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And folks, that is good news. Amen? Amen. All right. That's God's word. This is the summary of the sermon this morning. Self-righteousness is out of reach, but your Savior is always within reach. That's the message here today. And I've got two parts. Maybe you've seen this in the outline already. There's an outline on the back of the worship folder, if that helps you to follow along. I've got two parts that go with self-righteousness and three with Savior, so we'll be moving quickly through them. Here's part one, self-righteousness. You may run after righteousness, but you'll never reach it on your own. Now, there are a few different terms here in, I'm back to the beginning of the text uh, that we've chosen today, verses 30 to 33 of chapter 9, a few different terms here that have to do with running a race. So you've got in verse 30 and 31, pursue, and in the Greek, it has the idea of running, pressing on, pushing, Uh, verse 30, attain, like, like winning the prize, claiming the crown. Um, 31, reaching, as in reaching a goal or a destination or the finish line. Uh, Then verses 32 and 33 both have stumbling, of course, which you don't want to do if you're running a race, and shame, the opposite of the honor and glory that you are running for if you're running in a race, especially something like, you know, the Olympics or something like that. And in these verses, uh, there are two kinds of people that are running, Actually, no, Uh, and and this is the rub. Some people didn't run at all, but they got the prize. And some other people ran, but they never even got to the finish line. So, verse 30, what shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. They didn't run, but they won. Uh, That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. So the goal or the prize in this pursuit that he's describing uh, is righteousness. If you've been with us through working our way through this letter uh, to the Romans, Paul is describing righteousness not as a sort of a, you know, a characteristic of goodness or morality uh, in a person. Um, it's, again, in the, in the flow of what he's been saying, he's referring to our standing before God at final judgment. When the, and and it, the question is, will the judge of the universe, will, will he condemn you as guilty, as unworthy, or will you be declared righteous? Will you be justified? Will you be accepted? So now, even if you're not tracking with the whole 
a history of the Jew-Gentile thing just yet, understand this is an issue for every human being. When you stand before your maker one day, and everything you've ever thought, said, done is laid open on the books, if everything is taken into account, what hope do you have to be justified and not condemned? We could, you can just say, well, you know, I'm hoping my good stuff outweighs the bad stuff, or I, you know, I hope he'll kind of just see that, you know, basically I'm a good person. Okay, yes, but if there's any violations, if there's any sin, if there's any ways, the, the, the lies you've told, the deceptions that you've, you've perpetrated, the ways that, that you've, you've, you've uh, skimmed off a little bit more for yourself and, and at the expense of others, there's, there's, is there something that will condemn you? Yeah. What hope do we have then? What hope do we have to be justified and not condemned? The Jews thought that they had their righteous standing before God locked up. I mean, they had been given God's law. They had been given various covenants and promises. You've got that all there in the early part of the Bible. They had the, the privilege of worship at the tabernacle, the temple, which, which was indeed a sense of the presence of God is among them. He's in, in some sense in a special way and in some sense an exclusive way. God is with us. He is among us. How could they fail? How could they possibly fail to reach the prize of righteousness? But Paul talks about them like, like the kid who studied all night for the test and failed while some other guy that forgot about the final showed up and aced it. No, no way. How did, how did the Jew, why, why didn't the Jews succeed in reaching their goal? Verse 32 begins, why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if, meaning this is not how it, it goes, but they thought it was. They, they pursued it as if it were based on works. Now, let me be clear. Again, this is not just legalism is not a problem only for Jewish people. That's not what he's saying here at all. The fact that the more, here's the, here's the deal, and here it's true for all of us, especially, especially for us in this room. The more knowledge you have of truth, of morality, of goodness, more sense of a more tender conscience, sensitive conscience you have for, for right and wrong, the easier it will be to become a legalist, which is to say, like, okay, I, I, I see right and wrong. I have a firm believer in, in morality and goodness. I, I have God's word here in front of me, and, I, and I'm, gonna, I'm sticking to it. All those other people, they're messed up. They're wicked. They can't believe what they're doing, but I'm, oh, yeah, we've got it. And, oh, see how, see how tempting that is, how, how easy it is to fall into that kind of legalism. You don't have enough to, and it's why there are, sadly, I could even say naturally, more legalists in church. There are more, there are more hypocrites in church. I don't, I, 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 will, I will debate the person, I will argue with the person who says, ah, the church is just full of hypocrites. No, there are genuine people in church. But if, if hypocrites want to go somewhere, Church is a great place because they're, if they're all about looking good, of course they're going to come here. They're trying to look like they're the, they're the good people. But that doesn't mean the church is all hypocrites. Okay, I, that's a little off. But, uh, but there are also, you can see this though, not just in religious people. You can see it in many people in our world around us who may have no, even have no concept or no care about a God, but they think they have to justify themselves by their goodness. 
And so they're involved in all kinds of, uh, they, they may not be in a church, but they are very active in community service. They're, they're, they're uh, uh, involved in, in activism and social consciousness, and they've got different cares and concerns that they're, they're pressing forward. And, and hear me say, that's not, I'm not saying it's a bad thing to be a volunteer, a donor, an activist, an advocate for justice on the issues as you understand them. But here's the thing. The challenge for all kinds of do-gooders, religious or irreligious, if you have the idea that the harder you run, the harder you run, the more you do, that you can justify yourself you're never going to get there. You, you can run and run, but you'll never reach it. You'll never reach a place of self-righteousness because even though you might be doing a lot of good, the judge is not looking for your accomplishments. What does God want from you? God, what do you want from me? He, he wants faith in Christ. Now, I'll explain why that, well, is that, 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 that is a very connected thing um, not just some arbitrary point of doctrine to just throw in. Uh, faith in Christ, trust in Christ, relying on Jesus rather than relying on yourself. But notice how verse 32 ends and into verse 33. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. In other words, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, he's quoting Isaiah now, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the stone referred to in the one line is him, in the second line is a him, a person. You either believe in him, put your trust in him, or you are tripped up by him. He will be your victory or he will be your downfall. And God is the one, it says, Isaiah says, is the one that putting this stone in your path. He's putting in the path of those who think, oh, I've got this. I'm running, and I'm going to get there, and I'm going to be, I'm going to be, you know, coming through the tape, and everybody's going to see how great I am. God's going to say, oh, you did a great job. No, when you, if you're running like that, if you think that's how you're going to come out in the end, God's, God's put a little, uh, God's put a rock in your path. And it's going to trip you up. He's, going to, he's letting you know that that's not how it's going to be. That's not the way it's going to work. Now, that might be a troubling thought, but let's, let's keep reading because Paul has some more to say about this self-righteousness. So, uh, the first part of chapter 10. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, his fellow Israelites, is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. This is part two. Also, self-righteousness. You may be devoutly religious, but you can't secure your own standing. Same ideas, really, but let's press into what he says here in this part. Now, maybe you notice both this paragraph uh, ends the same way the last one with with believing, and he's going to get there and uh, about that in the next paragraph. But but most of this is really about the fact that 
Well, these people are not believing. Therefore, they are unsaved. They are not prepared for final judgment. And this breaks Paul's heart. It drives him to prayer. We saw that same heartfelt concern at the beginning of chapter 9. This is not, Paul is not a, uh, a detached, you know, uh, ivory tower philosopher, theologian saying, well, you know, some people in God's plan go to heaven. Some people don't. Um, you know, just how it is, how it shakes out. No, he, he cares about people who are ignorant of God, who are, are, are running their own path of destruction, who are running so hard and not getting anywhere. They're going, going down the wrong path. He cares about them. And the problem is, though, as we've already said, sometimes the most religious people have the hardest time with the concept of faith. You think, well, religious people... We have a faith. You know, I have faith. We talk about, we use that word all the time. Surely, religious people are good at faith. And we usually, we usually think of the, the prodigal type, if you think of Jesus' parable, the prodigal son, the son that, that just ran away from the father, who's decided to, to live, a, uh, to just spend all he had in reckless living, the rebel, the wanderer. You know, that's the one who won't submit to God. But and they're running as hard as they can away from him. But in, in that story, uh, there's an older brother as well in Jesus' parable. And that brother in the story is committed to obeying the father, but, he, but, but it's not out of love. It's not out of uh, a joyful relationship with his father. It's, uh, he, he ends up feeling entitled, like, hey, I've been doing everything right. That other guy, he's running off in his own way, but I've, I've always done the right thing. And, he, and he's not glad in that, joyful in that obedience, in that faithfulness, in that uh, consistent life. He's bitter. He's bitter because, because he, he didn't get to do all the fun stuff that his brother did, and he's bitter because he's not being celebrated as he's come back. He, does, he can't enjoy the beauty of mercy. It, sadly, good people don't get faith. They're, they're, they're just as committed to doing good and showing that I'm good on my own as anyone else. Imagine that you're trying to get into uh, some Ivy League school and you're working on your application and you're, you've got your GPA and, and uh, 4.0 or 4.12 and, and you've got your advanced placement classes that you've taken, extracurriculars in both arts and sports and, and all kinds of awards, plenty of community service. Hey, it's pretty impressive. And, and, and there's a certain kind of zeal in that. And, and for for Christians, for religious people, there's a certain zeal in like building, padding that resume, looking at my application. God certainly is going to be impressed with this. And you can, it's, it's tempting even too for, for pastors, not just to like try to, to pursue my own self-righteousness, but you know, if we maintained a ministry where the message was basically, folks, you got to, you got to serve God more. Because, you know, I, you know, I hope, he's, hope he's happy with you. So if, you, if we all do a little bit more, if we all, you know, dig a little deeper, write a little bigger check, I, you know, I think God will be happier there. And, and uh, you know, I hope that, and that boy, you could, really, you could really get some money going. You could really get some activity and people doing ministry if, we, if I just laid that on you every week. Hope God's happy with you. Maybe you could do a little bit more. <laughs> but that's so tempting, for religious people, but to, to establish their own righteousness. But that kind of zeal, Paul says, is ignorant. 
says, verse 3, they were ignorant of God's righteousness and they did not submit to God's righteousness. Well, how, well, how could they not submit to something they were ignorant of? I think what he's saying there is they did not recognize the righteousness they needed was the righteousness that God would freely give them in Christ. They didn't, they, they didn't understand the righteousness that they needed was going to be a gift from God. He would freely give it to them in Christ. Therefore, that, that next verse, Christ is the end of the notion of any idea that you can establish your own righteousness through the law, through your obedience, through your dedication, through your devotion. And some people stumble over Christ. They won't submit to God's righteousness because they can't imagine giving up on justifying themselves. Like, I, you know, I've worked pretty hard to get where I'm at in life, uh, financially, religiously, in terms of my reputation. I, I've, I've worked pretty hard. I've been running, and I think I'm doing pretty good compared to, you know, some other people around here. And, and let me ask you if, you, if you feel that sense of pressure, that sense of burden, if you think that's effectively how you're running your life, are you tired? Are you exhausted? Are you afraid you can't keep up? Can't get ahead? Are you bitter toward those who seem to be making a better showing? You were never made to establish your own righteousness. That's, that's not how God that's not how it works. That's not how God wants you to try to live your life. You can't secure your own standing. Self-righteousness is out of reach. But there's a better way, the way of faith in Christ. Part three, Savior. The Savior is always within reach. Self-righteousness is out of reach your Savior is always within reach. Here's part three. If you've heard the gospel, you know Christ is within reach. Believe. Verses five to eight can be a little hard to follow. I'm sure when I read them earlier, like, what is this? Especially, it's hard to follow if you don't know the, old, the passages from the Old Testament that Paul is drawing from and how he's sort of putting his own spin on them as well. What's important how to start is to see the contrast between the righteousness based on law and the righteousness based on faith. So start with just verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Now, I do not take Paul to mean here that Moses taught righteousness based on law. You can gain a righteous standing. You'll be fine at the final judgment if you just do everything that God says you're supposed to do. But one could come to that wrong conclusion that righteousness is based on works. In the passage that, that uh, Paul is referring to, Leviticus 18.5, the promise is given that obedience leads to life. And it's true. If, if, if you understand it a certain way, obedience to God leads to life. Think about it. If you, if you live a life of honesty, of fidelity, of compassion, of integrity. A life of obedience leads to flourishing and blessing. Of course, obedience leads to life in that sense. 
But Moses was not promising that, hey, just keep the law and you'll, you will stand justified before God. If you just keep the law, you'll be saved. That was a misunderstanding perpetrated by some. So what Paul does then, he says, okay, you could read, you could sort of get the righteousness based on law from looking at Moses, but listen to Moses again. And, and now Paul going forward in verses 6 to 8 is playing off another passage, this time from Deuteronomy 30. And just listen to this before we go on in Romans 10. This is what Paul is reaching back to. Deuteronomy 30, verses 11 to 14 says, For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. So the idea, again, this is back in Deuteronomy, back with Moses and the Israelites receiving the law of God. He's like, this is not some inaccessible, unattainable thing. It's not something, it's just like way out there. Like who can, how, who can do this? Who can, who can understand it? It's, 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 you know, is somebody going to be able to bring this down out of the skies for us? Is somebody going to be able to cross the sea to somehow bring it to us? It's, it's, and he says, no, it's not, it's not remote, inaccessible. It's not impossible. It's right here. I'm calling you to, to take hold of it with your mouth, with your heart, to do it. Now, Paul's going to take that, and he's going to take that passage, and he's going to, again, put his own spin on it. He's not just quoting it. He's putting a spin on it to bring it into what the argument he's making. And he's saying, verse 6, Romans 10, contrasted with the righteousness based on law that somebody might have thought they could get from Moses. He says, no, but the righteousness based on faith says, again, coming from that Old Testament, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? And now Paul is like bringing into a, his argument, in other words, to bring Christ down. Or who will ascend into the abyss, the, the depths, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead? But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. And Paul says, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. Now, again, in context, the word of faith is not some power word, not some word for doing miracles, this word of faith. It's just, he's just simply talking about the gospel, the righteousness that is based on faith, right? The message of righteousness based on faith in Christ. So before we go any further, I know this is, this is dense and deep. Try to, try to stay with me. See what Paul has done just at this point. For the Jew that, he's, that may be reading him, He's making a case based on the books of Moses that we can receive God's righteousness through faith. But here's the thing for you and me. None of us are in quite in the, maybe the same concerns that Paul is addressing. Here's the thing. We all need that. We all need to know that we can receive God's righteousness to faith. And, he's, and Paul is inviting us, you and me, some here today. I don't know what everyone here thinks, knows, believes what your relationship connection to Jesus is. But Paul is here speaking in this word written 2,000 years ago for you right now to say he's inviting you to a better way. A different way, a better way than running after your self-righteousness that you will never reach anyway. The good news is right in front of you. 
Jesus is there for the taking. You don't have to travel back in ancient history. Or if I, could only, if I could only go back in time and I could listen to Jesus myself, if I could hear the words coming out of his mouth, if I could just go back in time and I could, I could see Jesus doing the miracles, then I would believe. If I could just go back in time and maybe I could see Jesus on the cross or maybe go to the empty tomb. Like, you don't need to do that. You don't need to do that. You don't need to teleport to heaven. You don't need to, take to, to scour the depths of hell itself to find Find this Savior, find this Jesus to be able to believe Jesus is here and now available to you as you hear this word. The word of faith is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. If you were at the memorial service yesterday, we honored Daryl Kay for the ways he showed extraordinary patience, thoughtfulness, care for people, and, you know, the impression that you could possibly get, I, I, I hope we made it very clear that for all the ways we are thankful for Daryl, you know, we still we exalt his Savior and ours. And here's the thing, you don't, you, I, I would, as much as I would love for people to, to walk away from Daryl's life and say, oh, I want to love people like that. I want to care for people like that. That can't be the only thing we say. Because I, then I'm just telling you to run after righteousness. What I, what I am saying, and here's the good news, folks. Daryl was shaped by the Savior. He, he became that person, not just because of his upbringing, not just because he was a farmer, but because Christ was at work in his life. And so what that means is, you coming today don't have to be a good person to walk in and get Jesus. You don't have to be a person who has grown up in the church and has been a pillar of the community to come in and be ready to get Jesus, to take hold of Jesus today. You don't have to be a special, nice, good person to come and find him. He's not standing back waiting for you to be worthy. He's right here, and he can, will make you worthy. He's the only way you can receive the righteousness of God. So what do you do if you're ready to submit to the righteousness of God? Verses 8 to 11. Let me read 8 again. We read that just a moment ago. Let me read that again. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim, the gospel. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. This is part four, under Savior. If you stand on Christ, you have nothing to fear at the judgment. So believe. I grew up in the church, and not this church, but in a church, a little church in Ohio, and grew up, maybe, maybe some of you too, uh, grew up uh, being encouraged in Sunday school or Awana or whatever to uh, memorize a string of different verses from Romans that together presented the way of salvation. And those verses all together were called the Romans Road. Somebody know that? All right. Just like the famous roads of ancient, the ancient empire, uh, this was kind of a Romans Road. If you follow these verses, you'll see the God's plan of salvation. And one of those that I memorized as a kid was Romans 10, 9, right there. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Boom. Yes. 
Now, while that verse is clear enough on its own, it's good to see it in its context, the way that Paul is continuing to riff off of Deuteronomy. The gospel is not far off somewhere. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. So he's already from Deuteronomy. He's got this mouth heart thing going on. Christ is right here. He is within reach. And then remembering that mouth heart uh, framework he's using, we shouldn't make too hard of a distinction between the two. Mouth and heart are two parts of the same person, justified and saved, are two dimensions of God's redeeming work. They're not identical, but they're, they go together. And to this point in the sermon, I've been emphasizing Jesus as Savior. You will, it's right there, you will be saved. But this says it's important to, to recognize, to affirm, to declare Jesus is Lord. And there have been times past, maybe you're aware of this, that Christians have debated whether making Jesus Lord of your life was a a later step in discipleship. I mean, we don't want to smuggle the law back into faith if righteousness is by faith. Uh, But the first thing that needs to be said, you can't can't split Jesus. You, You can't chop him up into pieces. Like he's not, well, I want the Savior part of Jesus the Lord part of Jesus, I'll think about that, and maybe I'll decide later if I want to go that far. Uh, but Savior's good, because I guess that gets me into heaven. That's, you can't split Jesus. You can't take one but not the other. If you receive Jesus, you get all of who he is, and you end up with all the, the demands that he makes of you as well. So if you do not bow before the king, you're not going to receive the blessing of being sons and daughters, heirs of the kingdom, or connect it to the earlier verse. Uh, if you persist in establishing your own righteousness, uh, well, or you could do that, or you could submit to God's righteousness offered in Christ. Submit to God's righteousness. Jesus is Lord. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead. Don't try to be your own boss anymore. Trust in Jesus. Now, some, some of you in your employment like being your own boss. I, I respect that. I appreciate that. Uh, and, and you know better than any of us who are, you know, punching the clock for somebody else that with, with all that freedom comes tremendous responsibility when you own your own business. I give you some right up here in the front row. Um, some of us don't want that kind of freedom, that kind of responsibility, and you're working for somebody else. But here's the thing. You don't Whether you're the kind of be-your-own-boss kind of person in your vocation, you do not want to take on the responsibility of your salvation. Let me just tell you that. You do not want to be your own boss that way. You want, you must have. There's no other way but to be saved having Jesus as Lord. If he's not in charge, then it falls on you. And you can't, you can't hack it. You can't make it. Surrender your freedom that says you are on your own and find a different freedom, a better freedom that says, I don't have to, I don't have to measure up anymore. I don't have to get ahead of anybody else. I don't have to somehow uh, see if possibly I can make my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, or at least I can at least hopefully show up better than some of the other bad people that are out there in the world. Enjoy the freedom that comes when Christ is responsible for your salvation, when he does the work and you trust in him. Freedom to rest in his grace through faith. Now, 
Back to this verse here. If there's any distinction to be made between confessing and believing, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God's raised from the dead, of course, confessing fits with the mouth because it's, it's about declaring. It's about affirming. It's about speaking out. It's, it's not that you get to choose one or the other. Well, I'll believe in my heart, but I don't want to confess with my mouth. In fact, if anything, that's, that's what, maybe what I think it would be worth uh, paying attention to here. We don't get that... Uh, have that option. Like, you know what? I, to, I'll just keep my faith on the inside. I'll just have this, it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a warm, you know, feeling that I have inside my faith. Uh, I believe in Jesus and, and it's, but it's just an interior thing. Uh, folks, you need to verbalize that. And that doesn't mean you need to, you know, put it on a t-shirt or walk up and down the street with a sign. I'm just saying, uh, it could be professed by a testimony in the life of the church, uh, it would be taking the step of baptism to say, I'm taking my stand with Jesus. It's saying, I, I pledge my allegiance to Christ. That's not something added on to faith. That's just all in faith. Does that make sense? But confessing Christ as Lord is not something added to faith. It's just all in faith. And folks, there is no half faith that gets you anything. You can't be on the fence with Jesus. And so that's where some of us, I think, if you, if you say like, well, I'll just believe in my heart, but I'm not going to be kind of out there with my faith. Well, that I think is what you're kidding yourself that you're straddling some kind of fence and you can't do it. Jesus as Lord is not something added to faith. It's just all in faith. And there's a promise that comes with that faith. Verse 11. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. So he's just repeated that second line of the quotation uh, from Isaiah that we saw at the very end of chapter 9. Now, what I didn't tell you before when we were looking at chapter 9, verse 33, as this is not as quite as simple as it appears. It's not just a, well, Paul decided to quote Isaiah, which he does a lot here as he's making his case to uh, Jewish people. Uh, it's not quite just a simple quote from Isaiah. It's actually a, a mashup, if I can use that modern term, a mashup of two places in Isaiah that both refer to a stone. So he's kind of he's kind of doing a little medley uh, of two passages. So Isaiah twenty eight sixteen, behold, I am the one who has laid it as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. And that's where it goes on to say, whoever believes in him. Uh, but then he mashes that up with Isaiah 8, 14, and he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel. So what Paul is doing, he's not misquoting Isaiah. He's saying these two stones, the stone that's the cornerstone and the stone that's the stone of stumbling, same guy. It's, it's, the, both of those are images of Jesus. He will either be to you the stone that trips you up as you are running like, oh yeah, I got this. I'm doing this. I am so righteous. Oh, other people are just watching me go by and they are, oh. And, and, and he will trip you up because that is just not how God's going to let it work. You can't reach your own self-righteousness. He can, he'll be either, Jesus will either be that stone that trips you up or he will be your cornerstone, your foundation, 
the rock on which you stand. And whoever believes in him, whoever knows him as their foundation, whoever knows Jesus as, trusts Jesus as the cornerstone of their life, their identity, their eternity, they will never be put to shame. And there's kind of a couple of things going on there. Never be, you're never going to have to come to the end of your life and say, huh, I trusted Jesus and boy, that was a waste. And you're never going to get to the end of your life having trusted Christ and say, ah, it's kind of a disappointment. You're never going to have to trust Christ and come to the end where you stand before God and alone with your sin and the, the rags of your self-righteousness say, oh, yeah, I guess, I guess I didn't run as fast as I thought. Because if you're in Christ, you will never be put to shame. You will never stand before God in shame. You will stand before Him in glory. In glory. And that's the only way. Believe in him, acknowledge him, pledge allegiance to him, trust in him. Let's close verses 11 to 13. Verse 11 again, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the last part, and it is brief. Savior if Christ saves everyone who comes to him, call on his name. Believe. Paul's doing it again. He's making his case at the gospel available to all people, not just to the Jews. It was right under their noses in, the old, in their own scriptures, what we know as the Old Testament. Whoever believes means everyone who believes. Anyone can believe. And this is true because Jesus is not just king of Israel. He's Lord of all. He is Lord of all. This is the same rationale that Paul gave earlier in the letter, Romans 3, 29 and 30. He says, or is God the God of Jews only? <laughs> is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith, the Jews, and the uncircumcised through faith. That basic confession of Faith for Israel was in the law of Moses, Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And Paul says, if there's one God, then he's everybody's God. Now, I get it. You're like, okay, but not everybody's worshiping this God, this one God. Yeah, that's true. But the, but the oneness of God means that this God is available to everyone. There's not a American God, there's not a Russian God, there's not an Australian God, there's not, there's not a South African God. There is the maker of heaven and earth, and we can come to him because he is the only God. He is the only way. And for all the ways that, that we might uh, read this and see the exclusivity, what what Theologians talk about the exclusivity of Christ, that Christ is the way, the truth, the life. That's how Jesus put it, the one way, the only way. 
But what Paul's highlighting here is not that so much as he is saying, Jesus, if he's there for everyone and for anyone, then he's available for you. If I can bring that home to, to you today, because it's not, at, at some point it's just about, yeah, he can be the savior of Jews and Gentiles. But practically, right now in this moment, it means he can be your savior too. The savior is within reach for you. So if, you, if you're here today and you've been running hard to get what you can out of life and, you're, and maybe you're coming to the point where you're thinking, okay, this is not working. I don't think I'm getting anywhere and I don't think I can keep this up. King Jesus has every resource at his disposal and he's ready to give it to you when you simply ask simply trust, simply call on his name, believe. He has mercy to offer you today and new mercies for every morning and the riches of his glory to lavish on you in his eternal kingdom. You're here, here this morning, I don't, there's probably nobody uh, that's an Israelite struggling with the idea of Gentile inclusion. But folks, we are, we've got a room here of sinners who need saviors. Now, many of you, I, again, if, if you're like, ah, I'm trusting Jesus, yes, then you, praise God, you, you're redeemed. But we need the Savior. And if you struggle here today, if you're coming today and you're struggling with whether or not you can come to Him, hear this word. If you're struggling, it, this is for anyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you've come in today and perhaps... You feel like, oh, I can't come to Jesus because of what I've done. Either, either something you've done that everybody knows about it. Everybody knows that's who I am. This is what I've done. This is the mistakes I've made. Or maybe it's something that you come, I can't come to Jesus because of that thing that I've done that, that nobody knows about. I can't, I can't. Perhaps you've been outspoken as an atheist. Perhaps you've just cursed God outright, blasphemy. Perhaps you've been flagrant promiscuous in sexual sin. Perhaps you've had no conscience, no compunction in, in lying, stealing, cheating from people, exploiting those who were weak or stupid, and you said, ha, easy pickings. You can come today. I'm not saying, I'm not saying you can go on with that life and be fine. I'm saying you can Stop that today and start with Jesus and find Jesus. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Or maybe you're here, sadly, sadly, are, are you here and maybe there's just, you're starting to realize that, you know, I've been feeling pretty good about myself because I've been, I've been running pretty well. This could be the day that you recognize, I, I, I can't do this. I can't keep doing this. People think I'm a pretty good person, but I know I need Jesus. Self-righteousness is always out of reach, but your Savior is within reach. He is here today in the gospel for you. Let me pray. Pray with me. Father, If you're tapping someone on the shoulder right now, if you're touching a heart, I pray that, that there would be just a, such a readiness to call on the name of the Lord.
to give up our own pretense, our own pretensions that we're something and let you take the nothing that we are and build us up to something beautiful. God, would you do that here today? And for those of us who have come in uh, saying, well, yeah, that's, that's what I believe. That's, uh, I'm trusting in Jesus that, that it's a little sweeter today for having spent time in your word, a little deeper in us as we come together around the Lord's table now in the close. God, would you do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're closing this morning with